You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The purists, the, that's always kind of like the downfall. Like, you know, the people hating on, on bands like Baby Metal. It's like, there's nothing more metal than Baby Metal because they just don't give a fuck what you think. It's just like, we're doing our own thing. You can take it or leave it, but we're not going to change it for you. You know, I mean, that's the most metal attitude you can have as opposed to, hey, we're metal. We want to be on the radio. We, let's make it sound like a five finger death punch because they're like right. being played on the radio. That's that'll be our metal. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming back. And if you're here for the first time, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Just sure. like that first hit of acid or that hit of fucking E when you're at the club and you're like, this is going to make everything better. Just go for it. Subscribe. Like it mindlessly because this is 2020 and that's what this show is about. And my name is Benny Goodman, the most mindless of them all. And my cohort's here with Siobhan Cronin. Hi. And Corey Peza. How's it going? And this week we're here with a pretty freaking amazing guest, if I do say so myself, because it's our show. And his name's <laughs> Ulrich Wild. And if you don't know who he is, he's worked with, insert Corey. Uh, well, geez, you just made me scroll past my, my list here. So many people that it's hard to remember. How can anyone <laughs> yeah. remember this guy's resume? I mean, everything you've listened to. Yeah, Pantera, Alice in Chains. You have Breaking, Breaking Benjamin, Pilots. Otep, uh, Death Clock. I mean, yeah. White Zombie got nominated for a Grammy, so there's that. I mean, okay, can we just put this out there? I alluded to it on the first episode, but he literally got a song to number one on the rock charts that starts off with, ah, 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 which is more human than human by White Zombie. And then he got nominated for a Grammy. And then he did it again with Wisconsin Death Trip. So Ulrich Wilde, I thank you for putting inappropriate stuff or allowing your people to put inappropriate stuff before hit singles. Well, this episode's great because he really opened up a lot. You know, if you got yeah, to listen exactly. to part one, we really got to get into a lot more of his background, you know, the breadth of his career getting, you know. He's too uh, metal for Switzerland. <laughs> too <laughs> yeah. metal for Switzerland. That's yeah. the takeaway. Yeah, he talks about working with Dimebag Daryl, Vinnie Paul, uh, Wayne Static. You know, it, it just, it's, it's just crazy. His thoughts on Prince. 100%. That's important. So uh, check it out. This is our second episode with Ulrich Wild. Subscribe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, first question, have you subscribed yet? Because apparently all of us here got so carried away in our last episode with our fantastic guest that we forgot to mention, subscribe. you should subscribe. Please. subscribe. <laughs> 2020-3.com. If you like what you hear, certainly, yeah, so certainly go back and listen to part one of this episode. But in addition to that, yes, subscribe and listen to all of our other guests because we have such an amazing array of different people from all areas Paul of the Gary, music industry Steve Stevens, and beyond. Rusty Cooley. And... and <laughs> Satchel. I'm being derailed by John one Gary of my cohorts here. Sorry, I'll mute Ben. <laughs> so first of all, I'm Siobhan Cronin. Welcome back to 2020. And I'm here as always with my co-host slash cohorts, Benny Goodman. Why, hello there, Siobhan. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. What a polite 
you know, greeting from you. Normally you're screaming into your microphone. I have a limiter on it today. Thank God. And then we have Corey Peza. Cheers. And of course, back again, since our part one, we have the fantastic everything producer, mixer, engineer, artist in his own right. Ulrich Wild with us. Thank you for coming back. Two medal well, for thank Switzerland. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of his live album, Two Metal for Switzerland. Sounds good yeah. to me. Well, Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, speaking of your background, we kind of jumped through a bunch of different things in the last episode. So now here in part two, um, I'm curious to hear from you. What were some of your early music influences? Um, because I feel like, you know, as you go through your career, at least from my perspective, so much of what you like to hear and what you want to hear is influenced by the things you liked growing up or the music that you played. So, you know, what were some of your early influences in music that kind of drove you into that arena? Um, well, I was a metalhead and still am pretty much. Um, you know, the, the horizons broaden, but um, I grew up, my, 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 my very much formative years were, you know, like new wave of British heavy metal, Iron Maiden, Priest, Motorhead, all that good stuff back in the day. Um, but you know, and, uh, what's your favorite so, Maiden album? I don't You're know. Martin Birch fan? Yes. Um, you know, I'd probably have to go with um, peace, peace of mind. No, I know that. I'm a live after death guy because I feel like Maiden has never been captured fully on the record. And talking about BPMs, you go and that was my first Maiden record, so it's also close to my heart. But I listened to those songs, and then I went back and listened to like Revelation on Peace of Mind, and it's like 20 BPM slower because there's no booze or anything involved. It was a very strange experience for me going backwards on that, hearing the live album first, and then it's like, damn it. You're like, whoa! And you know it's a good song. You know it's a good song when it works at both tempos. Well, it all Eddie made it work. Eddie made it work, dude. Yeah, to you know, so but before then, it was you know just it was ABBA and Greece. That was kind of what happened to me as I as I moved into into the world of metal. It it went from from Greece and ABBA to a kiss alive too, to like rainbow and maiden and you know yeah that, that favorite kind of rainbow song um there is the right answer by the, the way the uh, long live rock and roll <laughs> if, if your opinion isn't shared with ben no i'm just kidding i'm just messing with him it's clearly gates to babylon <laughs> but long live rock and roll is a good one dio's not upset gates to, gates to babylon yeah sure look I long live rock that. and roll they, if you're talking career-wise as far as putting them on the map okay maybe over man over the silver on the silver mountain but as far as compositionally i think that that's his stairway to heaven blackmore even over anything he did in deep purple just my opinion um you know that whole record was was huge for me I can say I can tell you that we're covering um, Gates to Babylon right now, so that's why I was just oh, messing with you. Oh, yeah, that's it's, why it's a great you, you song. Just, you I love Cozy Powell. Everything's good. <laughs> Fuck, dude! I saw um, Cozy Powell uh, playing with White Snake at oh, yes. a at an at an open air festival that was televised in '86 ish. Um, they played and it was live, live televised. Um, uh, and they, he played this uh, classical drum solo. Uh, it was the best thing ever. 
I was so oh, just damn. glued to the TV. For people that, that don't happened. know, Cozy Powell is one was one of the greatest drummers in the history of rock and roll. He was amazing. And those who don't know, because he's he's one of those guys that you probably from your generation say you have to know this guy. But we're removed enough from Cozy where people, who the fuck is that? Well, get yeah, on exactly. it. It's it, Rainbow. He's played with Brian May for a long time, who's only one of the greatest guitar players ever from Queen. Cozy Powell played with White, White Snake. I think, was that the Adrian Vanderberg time? or whatever? But he, No, that was the, well before then. Oh, was, yeah, uh, it was early, but he yeah. played with White Snake, one of the greatest drummers, and truly, like, no one hit like that, dude. Yeah. It was good stuff, man. It was it was amazing. Um, anyway, so I forgot where I was. Um, Sorry, we got you down, down the rainbow. But you're, you're, you're the the formative the formative stuff. And here's here's a thing that happened to old people uh, in Europe, or to, <laughs> to people who are the people who are old now when they were young in Europe. This is what happened to them. I grew up in Switzerland. And uh, this is a big rant coming up. So no, please, I, I want to hear all about attention. it. <laughs> Pay subscribe. attention. This is important. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe to this rant. Um, what happened in Switzerland was that uh, there was one radio station. Okay. For everyone, there was so very one. controlled for the most part. Not just that, but does one radio station in Switzerland play heavy metal? yes <laughs> really at, at sunday sunday morning at midnight for two hours okay the rest of it the rest of it was so it's pop. like the turtles and the cars and all of a sudden it hits midnight on sunday and then it's maiden priest diamond head oh man yeah so it's basically our headbangers ball um for two hours on swiss radio um there, there was two or three radio stations for one for this german part of the uh, the the french part and the italian part but um the one we got was that one radio station and um so they would play you know anything from german folk music to you know top of the pops kind of stuff and it's just you know the what have you just like the popular music right and so our reaction was hate towards pop music because we didn't get the stuff we wanted to listen to on the radio so this is the operant conditioning why like when metalheads are born why they start hating taylor swift it's because people before them were subjected for real they had no other choice but to wait through taylor swift to listen to maiden when exactly. you can actually actively just change it so exactly. who fucking cares about those people and so our our reaction creatively was uh, not just a reaction for metal, but also like an answer or a, a, a reaction to being exposed to so much pop music. Um, all of that has kind of gone away with this real niche marketing, and it it shows in TV, TV and video, uh, TV and, and and movie as well. Um, if you are only listening to stuff you like you won't have a reaction to stuff you don't like um and it it limits your your approach to creativity um okay. like for instance if you only watch horror movies if you're going to write a horror movie it's going to be just like any of these other horror movies that you've watched but if you watch a bunch of love stories and rom-coms and you know some documentaries and throw all that stuff in there all of a sudden you have a much broader uh mix of things to 
to feed off of when you write. Well, a, that's so important, script. especially in the metal Diversity. world, because you see a lot of people in the metal world. And back in the day, and I said this on another podcast, but like, you know, when I was younger um, and I'm 38 now, if I saw a guy with an Iron Maiden shirt or a Megadeth shirt, it was like, you're cool, dude. And we go play magic together and we wouldn't <laughs> we listen to Van Halen and not get laid. And uh, but now it's like but we were open minded and we liked things. And it didn't mean that you had to just love Maiden. Like, you know, maybe mom did play Fiddler on the Roof when you got back home, but you went and listened to Maiden. Now you see all these guys like, metal or death, if you don't like metal, or I only listen to this type of metal. And it's like, you just nailed it. Like, all the best metal, especially, took from so many other things and then made those records sound good. But that's metal. What's metal is when you're fucking Johnny Cash and you're playing, you know, fucking honky-tonk and you still go to a prison, and you're more badass than any of those dudes, that's metal! And a lot of people, I feel like, don't realize that, and you're in a genre where it's a lot of... I'm not saying everyone's closed-minded, but do you find people sometimes are closed-minded, and you're like, go listen to this country song. You might get it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the, the pure, the purists, the, that's always kind of like the downfall. Like, you know, the people hating on, on bands like Baby Metal. It's like there's nothing more metal than baby metal because they just don't give a fuck what you think. It's just like we're doing our own thing. You can take it or leave it, but we're not going to change it for you. You know what I mean? That's the most metal attitude you can have as opposed to, hey, we're metal. We want to be on the radio. We, let's make it sound like a five-finger death punch because they're like right. being played on the radio. That's, that'll be our metal. Ironic like, that Andy James is involved with both of those bands. You <laughs> Andy James, the amazing oh. guitar player, played with Baby Metal oh. for a while. Now he's with Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, okay, I didn't right, that. Right. that was like a weird well, thing go. that you just mentioned. Like both of those things gotcha. involve one of my favorite guitar players. I think there I think that opinion is generally from fans outside of music. If you, if you talk to a lot of like experienced musicians, they're saying exactly what you say. They take their influence from anywhere they can get it. Uh, you know, even if they're in the heaviest of bands, they're you know it's it's sometimes surprising to see what's on you know their playlist. <laughs> Sure, yeah. But it's an interesting point because now, obviously, in the age of streaming, you know, every person can sit down and curate exactly what they want to listen to. And, you know, there's you're not having to go through what's on, you know, the one radio station, you know, or even the two radio stations. Siobhan knows I have a 15 year old that lives in my house and I'm learning so much because I first off ask I hear weird music all the time. I'm like, that's what's coming out of her room. But I asked her and her friend, like, do you have a favorite band? And her friend said to me, oh, I don't listen to bands. I just like songs. I'm like, what? But I've been hearing yeah. Careless Whisper, like nonstop coming out of her room. I play Tears for Fears. Everyone wants to rule the world. And the girl knew every lyric to it. I'm like, what the fuck? But, but it's just like they got a playlist, but she doesn't mm -hmm. know anything about Tears for Fears. She never listened to an album. She never did any of those things. You think it's going to come around full circle that there's a whole generation that has devalued music so much they didn't have to listen through any of the filler tracks. They didn't have to buy the record to, to get any of those things. They didn't have to paint through it. But now they're making no money trying to play music, realizing it's fruitless, and that now they have to do something to put money back into it so music can, can continue because nobody pays for it anymore. You, you know, you move out of these big studios because bands can't afford it because record labels can't afford it because whole generations of people haven't even bought a record ever and they don't like bands. They like songs. Um, yeah, I mean, that is the big, uh, the big, let me know if you find a solution to this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking the, you, man. Every, everybody's listening I feel listening like Rome is that. burning, bro. Um, the, uh, 
number well, they one, buy records. They, they, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with yeah. that. <laughs> there uh, always is with his questions. Yeah. So there, there's a lot to unpack. Number one, I think um, teenage girls are notoriously a disloyal audience. Um <laughs> It sounds like you're speaking from experience. Not to Harry yes, Potter. When I was a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank God for the I, I 90s. I didn't have a teenage daughter. But, um, That's what I meant. <laughs> yes. No, I, I figured. Um, and and I, I don't mean it as a slag or anything, but I think sure, they, okay. they grow quickly out of, out of in, in and out of trends. And and I think that's been like that forever. I mean, back to like Britney Spears or whatever. The trend is dead already. There don't you know, know that? Yeah. The trend is dead. Killed it. So, so that's one aspect of it for them to like, the, they'll be a, a big supporter for a little while, but then they'll, they'll drop off. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's that uh, as far as uh, music not being monetized. I think if you connect to an audience and you give them an experience, you like star set. <laughs> she's in star to... set she's in a band that's like scientology that gives you all of those things it's amazing you should actually hear about <laughs> it because i feel like she is a solution what your band is doing siobhan perhaps well let him let him finish yeah we'll, we'll come back to that sorry i just had a um yeah so yeah the uh you know connecting with your audience i think is is a huge thing and is a huge uh uh a way to uh create a fan base and retain a fan base let me um, ask what you mean by connecting with your audience specifically like musically or actually engaging on a, a emotionally, social, emotionally emotionally yeah um that you you know like so uh, i think it's very easy for somebody to to make a song and then throw it out and say oh, buy my song buy my album as opposed to having a story um, having a, a mission or having some kind of uh, offering a a, a, a a sense of community or, or something like that, where you go like, this is what we're doing. You can support us by buying our stuff um, mm-hmm. and getting the fans emotionally involved with your project with, they like what you stand for. They like what you're, uh, what you're doing, who, what you're fighting for, what your problems were, how you overcame things, how you're approaching stuff, you know, like, uh, whatever it may be. And so that emotional connection is what gets the fans to, to stay with you and, and help you uh, further your career and, and, and bring the message <laughs> to, to more people, you know. Well, yeah, that's, no, that's that's why I mentioned ben. well as why I mentioned Starset because um her band first off found out through Forbes that they had 2 billion streams but Corey and I didn't know about the band before we went and saw them and like these people it's like you know how they talked about Ozzy Osbourne back in the 80s like shoot shoot the, the star set crowd literally is like so into it. They're dressed up. They wear space helmets. They have cryogenics on stage. Cryo, excuse me, cryo on stage. They have, they, they have we don't books. have any frozen well, people or book. animals. You have a book. Not you yet. have That's about things. Yeah. So it's like Kiss. If Kiss was like actually more of a universe than Kiss is. Can you explain this? Because I feel like this is what bands have to do to be successful. Yeah, well, that's it. it comes down to fundamentally that. I mean, the band was crafted around a message and a mission, which is, you know, spreading the knowledge of how technology can affect our lives, you know, and being aware of the future and the trends and where things are going. 
and the types of things that are already happening in terms of technology and surveillance and the things that are likely going to happen that might be uncomfortable for us to face. So the singer who conceptualized the band is, uh, you know, he was into NASA and all this, you know, space type stuff, was studying to get a PhD, also making music. But, you know, the band was formed, I think, mostly as a concept. And then the music came around that whole storyline. There's a book, there's a community, there's the star set messengers and the society that is you know, based on all of these ideals that are talked about. But but yeah, I mean, so much of the draw, obviously, the music is very powerful. It's high quality, like everything is, you know, very emotionally based, but it's also centered around a story and a community. So it's and I've noticed that does make a huge difference. Well, and- it's like if you had a rave, like where you had a, a techno DJ, as we called them back in the day, with all the crazy lights and stuff distracting you with like this Lincoln Park meets emo, uh, you know, what's his name? The guy from my so-called life, Jared Leto from 30 Seconds to Mars. Like, I'm hurting, but he's like really good looking and you believe him. And then you're all in space stuff. And then you got two pretty girls playing strings. But pe- so they don't know if they're getting a rock show because your your husband plays a baritone PRS fucking down heavy. So it's like, is it metal? Is it a, a techno band? Is it Scientology? Is it a light show? It's an like, experience. And I was completely confused. And when Corey and I went and saw you, there was literally a line out the door. And I always say I thought you guys were doing a signing. You were just selling stuff. You guys weren't <laughs> even at the booth. I mean, like, the band was just selling merch with the merch people. Yeah. And they had to kick people out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it covers so much ground. Like you said, it's, you can't necessarily categorize it. I mean, it's powerful music, but it covers so many different genres within each song. You know, it is a little bit metal and a little bit electronic and a little bit hip hop, even in one of the songs, you know, it's got kind of a hip hop beat. So yeah, I mean, it's, you're, a you're, you're totally right. So we obviously, yeah. we talk a lot about the industry as it stands today and, and where it could potentially go in the future. Uh, Ulrich, do you, do you have any predictions or maybe advice for the general uh, artists in these days of, of how they can continue to uh, evolve and stay on top of this like ever changing industry? Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, I know all the answers. <laughs> uh, well, you're you're in a unique perspective, so I just want to. I just like to hear it. Um, no, you know, if we had a crystal ball, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, just to fall back on on that other answer, I think if if you uh, if you can't like the, your goal is to connect uh, with with the audience and and uh, you know. You, if you're staying true to yourself and, but you're not doing it only for yourself, like you're like you, you're creating this community, basically, I think that that'll go a long way uh, for a longevity for an artist. I mean, you'll always have to, the, you know, the, the, the labels, the big labels, they, they like that. They're pushing everything behind uh, like one artist and, milking it and dropping it you know what i mean like that's kind of like their business model now and they're good at it you know i don't know um and then there'll be some artists that will come out of that they'll have have endurance uh or staying power um but for I i think for the little guys it's i think it'll be more important to try to cultivate super fans than to uh, have the, you know, the casual listeners, which are the casual listeners are great. Of course, and maybe some of them can be turned into super fans. And by super fans, I mean like people that basically buy everything you put out, Yeah, you know, 
Yeah. And, and that's much more valuable than just one more stream, you know? Yeah. And, and you mentioned the little guys. So that, that brings up Ben and I. Uh, and, and Siobhan, just because she's associated with us in this. But we, we our sponsor is is the band Lost Symphony, which is our band, which is the thing we would do uh, if we were allowed to do things this year. We have this good guitar year. players, though. Yes. Well... <laughs> I didn't say, I think we're a quality band, but I, I still say that we're on the, the little guy side. Um, yeah. So it's well, interesting Marty to Friedman's hear that only like 5'2". <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of followers, Nuno you know, can't I mean, be above 5'7", dude. Like, Nuno's at least, uh, maybe he's 5'7 and a half. He might deck me, but I think, I feel like Nuno's a little shorter than me. So like 5'2", five, 5'7", five, but no, but Marty wears the heels. So I guess he's probably like 5'9". Right. Regardless, I think man, that you're- big heels. Yeah. They're, they are big. <laughs> they're like platforms. They're not heels. They're actual platforms. Um, but but seeing how you're saying developing those super fans, I think that's that's kind of the route that we've taken over the past you know a couple of years. Is, is we are such a, a niche like uh, style that we're definitely not going to get the the commercial um, aspect, and and you know we don't have the the opportunity to, to do the touring even because we're a, uh, we're essentially a studio band of, of and ga- guests and what was that? And broke. Yes, that as well. We but, have no money, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting to, to I mean, hear. other than Siobhan, but she's not going to share it with us when I she plays. I didn't say I had money either. Orchestra <laughs> or plays Playing with in a big Andre. band doesn't mean I you have money, I'll tell you that. How do you even know you play with Placido Domingo? How do you even say his name? Andrea Bocelli and Placido Domingo? Like, how do you even say their names? I can't even fucking name the people. Yeah, well, that's Neither a whole I. other you know, conversation. Was, I mean, I, I, good? I, <laughs> no, that was, no, I heard that. No, that what was I was nice. saying that is that playing nice with a big band or big artist doesn't mean you're making money, especially if you're hired gun, but that's a whole, you know, if you're an instrumentalist, that's being brought on the, the violin world is its own thing when it comes to playing with bands. But anyway, Corey, go on. Oh, uh, no, no. I, I just was saying that it was, it, I think I agree with what you're saying where it is like creating that connection, a strong connection with, uh, with those people that really like the band is kind of the, the best way to build that fundamental, uh, just anything to support, you know, an art, an artist these days, because it is very easy to find fickle fans, especially with streaming and playlists and stuff where you might come across, Oh, I like that song. And then it's gone forever. Cause you know, no one's, yeah. no one's buying a record and listening front to back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's great, uh, insight as far from your perspective. Um, in that, in terms of that, uh, you, you mentioned a little while back, actually, in the previous episode, which you guys should all go back and listen to because it's some great information. Subscribe. Subscribe. But uh, <laughs> thank you. He's getting it. Uh, 2020-D.com. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, with your mixing, you're getting a lot of tracks and music from people that are recording in uh, you know, their home studios, and, and you know, they're sending them to you in the hopes of, of bringing them to a, a commercial level. Uh, do you notice anything in particular with the quality or the style of the music that you're getting now where it's being done in isolation from you know the studio environment and and with maybe production oversight and things like that uh aside from quality because i'm I'm sure that there's there's uh, you know people working with minimal stuff but uh as far as like just that separation from what you're used to or what you were used to where you had, I'm guessing layers of uh, oversight in production. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's a few things to observe. The uh, the first thing to observe is the quality. Let's address that for mm-hmm. a minute. Um, 
just because it was recorded at home doesn't mean it's worse than it was uh, if it was recorded in a professional studio. As a matter of fact, I've, uh, I've, I've gotten stuff through that was recorded in pro studios that was not, sure. just, you know, up to par, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it really is what you do with the gear, uh, much more so than uh, the gear itself. Uh, you know, a lot of equipment is of such quality that you can deliver decent tracks, right? And it's also uh, good enough to reveal that you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you know? You're supposed um, to point the again, microphone at the amp. <laughs> uh, you know, not necessarily if you want that room sound. Yeah, see? Experiment. Well, it all Get depends your ten, what you want. Well, then, okay, well, where do I point the microphone at the Kemper? Uh, on top at the label like do I put yeah, I was say, do you do it at the screen or do you do it at an angle yeah. do it at the angle so you can see the, the, the or is an the angle spelled E-N-G-L is it an angle patch I'm so confused it's, it's very confusing out there it's probably uh, actually that's a great question I wanted to ask you because I love with the DJing. camper well I, this is actually I know I should um, I have about 25 like amplifiers in my studio, you know, VHTs and Splons and all these great amplifiers. And then Corey one day brought over a Kemper mm-hmm. and I like, you know, heard about this asshole Michael Britt from Lone Star, which is a great There's band, mine. great guitarist, great guy, actually, um, that he could put like a 5150, like when I have the big block one over there, right? Uh, and make yeah, it yeah. sound better than my thing. And I'm like, nah, Contest. dude, that's bullshit. That's a line six fucking magic trick, whatever. He plugged it in. And like a keyboard, like we where there's no sound guy involved. There's just a vo- there's just a fader to put it up, like a DJ. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? A fader. It sounded perfect. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take my three microphones, which I got heckled by by a famous guitar player for having three microphones. He's like, you don't need that. I had you know my 57. I had the 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 Pro 25, like whatever, something on it, a 414, and I compared it to this Kemper sound with the same exact DI. And I was like, it doesn't sound better. In fact, I think I like Michael Britt better. Are you, are you at a point where you think to yourself, it's really not worth retubing that Bogner over there and using an ABY switch to get the mids from the Matchless and the Soldano? I'm just going to plug into my fucking Kemper because it's cold. And I don't want to go over there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the weather certainly has something to do with it. Uh, I found that you could get really, really good results using a Kemper through a cab. Mm. yeah um, dude for sure that, that is really nice um you know the all these tools have a place in the world um and you know if you uh travel a lot uh and have uh, rely on a bunch of different sounds a camper might just be the right thing for you Imagine touring Europe and showing up with Siobhan. your with a with a with a little USB flash drive and yep. tell them, "Yep, yeah, plug this into your Kemper, and I've, I've got my guitar sound." Yeah. As opposed to, you know, well, lugging big shit enough, that's like exactly crazy. what our band yeah. does. Well, no, but you're dog. big enough that if you wanted to, Dustin could put together a, ri- a rider, and they'd be like, "Oh, you use Marshall," and then Marshall UK would be like, "Oh, she uses a JCM 800," and blah blah blah, and you'd have a giant, and they'd just give you everything that you want. Oh, they need a Leslie speaker just to make that warble sound for that one song. Bring yeah. it, because you guys are big enough to do that. But most bands. But, or even people like me and Corey, we have to bring that because we don't have a choice. Of but they're also them. they're, they're, they're have that consistency. They're too. also ahead, they're Corey. but they're big and they're successful because they're smart with their money and that's and a, noise you know. gates are great. Do not underestimate <laughs> them. The, the honest proof to concept for me, uh, Ulrich, you can speak to this. I, I went and saw Killswitch Engage 
live. And I think they were mm-hmm. playing, I don't know if it was with Axe Effects or whatever. But when they did the and they just stopped, it was whisper quiet. You couldn't yeah. hear anything. That never existed back in the day. Like you always had that fucking hum, that perfect B fucking electrical <laughs> sound. Yeah, always. <laughs> and now on stage, I'm like, dude, elect- when they stopped, the whole room stopped. No one, like, they're like, what happened? And then you just realize it's a noise gate. Yeah, noise gates are great. <laughs> <laughs> Great story, Kemper. Ben. Brought to you by yeah, Kemper. Cool, Kemper, send yeah, me some cool, shit by cool now. Cool story, bro. I know. It wasn't <laughs> well, that cool. Ulrich, let me ask you. So, you know, having worked with a lot of different artists of all different genres, has there ever been an instance where somebody taught you something that you've carried through your career in engineering or mixing other people or producing? Like, was there ever some crazy aha moment of something that somebody did in the studio that you then took with you on to, you know, in your skill set to other things? Oh yeah, just uh, just about every project, really. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the beauty of of um, of this job, you know. Like I learn something new every day with each project, even like a just switching plugin, uh, like the 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 you know the the order of plugins or something. Like oh, I've not thought of doing that or whatever. You know what I mean? Just like mm-hmm. or um, you know taping. Uh, the the headstock uh, putting tape across the strings on the headstock to keep those mm. little bits from yeah. vibrating, and or or underneath the bridge. I um, tie a sock personally, but that's just yeah socks, whatever, whatever. Again, no, I'm serious. Like we've used to tie it's a real before, thing. Like, you know. Um, now they make actual things for it. You know what yeah. I mean? Back it used to be that right white back. tape from the board. There it is. Yeah. um and so yeah i mean it's it's uh you know that whole hand thing of of just the most minute uh change in holding that pick for certain notes to come through certain ways um you know or putting the lightest strings on acoustic guitars and using the softest picks to get that chimiest sound um to like with Wayne, may he rest in peace as well. Um, not changing his his hand position on the neck until we were done re- punching in. Mm. Like he wouldn't like take his hand off in between yeah. takes. He would leave it because it was that certain sound of his oh, uh, his his picking hand and his, and the muting of the strings that gave him that you know like that noteless. Well, that's really important that you bring that up because. Did you ever think, because now it's a 25-year anniversary, Wayne, rest, is, rest in peace. Like We lost Wayne a while ago, and he was an incredible musician, incredible player. But was, they're now touring on that record. It sounds amazing, and I had, it touched so many people's lives. And you're seeing 25 years later, them playing without Wayne to packed houses. I remember at the time, I actually bought a VS100 Marshall off of Wayne Static because I <laughs> yes. loved that sound so much when he came to town. So I actually have an extra one. Do you want to sold to me for 400 bucks behind the Whistler Palladium? You know, but that <laughs> sound, he made a fucking solid state. Well, at least that's what he said. I don't know. Uh, sound so fucking evil. And you guys did that. But 25 years later, same thing with Astro Creep, which, with White Zombie. People are now rediscovering it. Pantera, same thing. They're coming out with these 25-year anniversary things. They're rediscovering it, and you have this whole new crowd of people that are like, who's this Dimebag Daryl? Who's this Robert Zombie? You know what I mean? Who are all these <laughs> people? Robert and you were Zombie. fucking there. No, but, but it's true because, you know what I mean? I go and see Haley, and she's telling me about Tears for Fears and Careless Whisper. And I'm just like, Careless Whisper is the song you listen to? It's a really long song for George Michael. Like, 
it's strange to me. Do you ever yeah. think with Wayne Static, like that was when you made that? That's what it was going to be now. Um, you know, I never think that any of this is going to be anything of that magnitude while I'm doing it. You know, I'm I'm always just trying to like make the coolest thing I can possibly make. Um, and there's so many moving parts involved uh, after I'm done with it that, um, you know, it, it's just so hard to predict. And it, it, it could, it could uh, the whole thing could hinge on just one stupid mistake somewhere or, or something not working out. Or, you know, you have management and booking agents and everybody else um, working in tandem to propel this project forward. Um, and, and so you know like in in my mind like everything that i just finished is like the greatest thing i've ever done right <laughs> uh, and it's for everybody else to fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> um and so you know like you always hope that it's going to be the coolest thing ever and then the biggest thing and the most amazing thing um but you know having been at it as long as i have i know the reality is that not everybody is going to have that kind of impact. Um, and so having uh, a few of these records and projects and bands uh, that have that kind of impact out in the world is, is, uh, is really amazing. You know, I, not going to lie. What was it like working with people? So there's three people that come to mind just off the top of my head. And, you know, that's not even including someone like Chi Chang or Paul Gray, but you know, you, you worked with Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul, who I consider like the Van Halen of metal. If you don't consider Van Halen metal, they're the Van Halen of metal. In my opinion, personally, Dimebag Daryl, when I saw him was the first dude that when I, in OzFest 97, I had a, a wow experience where I'm like, that guy's pointing up as he's bending up and his beard's red and someone's pouring shots in his mouth simultaneously, <laughs> but he still sounds like he's really playing that. <laughs> yeah. And I was blown the fuck away. And then there's Vinnie Paul, who again, like I said, I considered him the barometer for which all drummers were based off of for a very long time. Like, who gave a fuck about Mike Portnoy or the dude from Yes and all? Like, I, I didn't realize that those guys existed because there was that dude. And then Wayne Static, who, you know, at, well, if you said 10 years ago Wayne Static would be a legend, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would have laughed. But, you know, I, Wayne Static is a legend. And Dimebag Daryl's a legend and Vinnie Paul's a legend. Do you have any stories that, you know, those people that are so emotionally intertwined with your, with your stuff, if they take anything from this podcast, it's something that they didn't know about any of those guys. Um, well, that they didn't Subscribe. know, uh, <laughs> that they didn't know is hard, but, um, you know, I certainly learned a lot from, um, uh, from, uh, Diamond Vinnie and, and, you know, of course, Phil to a lesser extent because uh, he was in New Orleans doing vocals there and didn't have much exposure with him. But uh, with with uh, with Rex and, and uh, Diamond Vinny, it was very um, very formative and very influential in, in in my in my upbringing in in the metal production world. Um, uh, the the most important thing was of of how no, no matter how crazy everything got like you know dime was just such a good dude you know and um 
he 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 would just always look out for everybody and no no matter what like even if, if he put everybody through hell with uh with black tooths and god only is what else he, he was always there uh looking out for everyone and, and 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 that was uh you know that that's super cool um you know everybody everybody knows how great he is you know or was is um Always will be. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and same thing with, with, with Vinny, um, with Wayne, I think he was very underrated, um, as a, as a guitarist and singer and, and performer overall, the, you know, they had, they had the, the tribute, uh, concert for him after he passed. Um, and it, that's when it became clear how, how great Wayne actually was with like the range of his voice, how strong it was everywhere and how accurate his guitar playing was, how just a, 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 what kind of a monster performer he was um, that, uh, you know, nobody really can hold a candle to him playing those songs um, the way he played them. So, you know, that was certainly. Uh, well, I, I got to tell you with Wayne, uh, so when I was younger, the way you got into shows was pretending you worked for somebody mm. that wrote things. So I got backstage passes to OzFest because I worked for a, a magazine called Boston Soundcheck and they would fax stuff over or whatever. And for OzFest 99, I, um, I met Wayne and Ken and Wayne was just super nice. He's like, oh, you, you could tell. And I'm like 16, like barely old enough, like maybe even 15. And he was just like, oh, you like metal? This is cool. And he took me around and introduced me to everybody and just like lived vicariously through the fact that like I'm sitting next to Tom Mariah from Slayer asking Paul Bistoff where the, 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 uh, the singer for Slayer is because I'm having everyone sign my guitar and I don't even realize that that's the singer for Slayer. <laughs> but this has been on my wall and it's a picture of me, Wayne oh, yeah. and Goichi. Uh, but, but, you know, Wayne took me under his wing and was kind enough to me that every single time he came to town, made sure that I got in and got me passes to everything and basically said, watch this shit. And I got to say that, like, you know, it really touches my heart getting to talk to you because that record, I remember they were opening for Fear Factory and all of a sudden they had this band, Static X. I think I'd seen them at OzFest 99, but this was when I first saw them at a place. And they came out and they, again, a lot of sound design, just like the Rob Zombie thing where you knew their songs just from the samples and the things before they even walked out. They had that. They had the samples. Everyone knew it was pushing. Everyone knew it was Love Dump, which is a great <laughs> song. Great. Best lyrics ever um, in any song ever. Does I argue? Yeah. Um, and you knew and you knew just from the guitar tone. And when they came out and, and Fear Factory was a lot like that in their prime. But when they came out, it was one of those bands that like punched me in the face and said, these guys are what I want to do as far as the experience I'm feeling right now. So it doesn't surprise me at all, but it's really cool to be able to talk to you because you know, this, this is on my wall every day to remind me because Wayne touched so many people and, and you were a huge part of that. So thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you a question. Um, as you know, talking about all these great artists and from your perspective of someone who's worked with all these different people, you know, now in the world, there we're exposed to so many great players. Let's say people that can play guitar really fast, or you know, sing and play guitar, whatever. Everything's on the internet. What what for you makes a truly great artist versus just you know somebody that plays or somebody that's got wicked technique? You know, what what makes a great artist? 
Well, the, the technique just makes you a great musician. And, you know, writing great songs make you a great songwriter. And having a, being able to perform well and being a great performer. But an artist is kind of like everything together that is like a like a combo package like the so was the, that the elitist, get the combo plate was that is, elitist is, for prince to call himself an artist formerly known as something because that seems like presumptuous to think that you're all those things although we do know prince was all of those things um yes the uh, well the you know that whole thing came about uh because he didn't like his deal with Warner Brothers. And that's why he thought that if he changed his name, then he wouldn't be Prince anymore and he wouldn't be beholden to the contract anymore. At least that's the story I heard. And I think that's that's why he walked around with the slave thing. Oh, yeah, no, because he, he, was a, yeah. he was a slave to Warner Brothers. And I think that's where all that came about. Um, and uh, I don't think it worked. No. But my favorite story about Prince um is that and uh, I, this is not first-hand knowledge but the uh the owner of the recording studio told me that he uh wanted to take up uh rollerblading and uh he couldn't find any suitable music so he booked the studio for i don't know two months and wrote himself rollerblading <laughs> rollerblading music that only he got to listen to while he was rollerblading so that is where uh, is this rollerblading music <laughs> i don't know i don't know if anybody has it or not or you know the it actually came out as nothing compares to you which sinead o'connor <laughs> Covered and yeah. took, took number one and Manic Monday. We know Manic, Manic Mon Monday came out and he was rollerblading, going, I bet <laughs> you somebody's gonna make this a number one. And Do then more was in the time, Jungle Love had to have been a rollerblade fucking idea. You know that. <laughs> Pop you culture. To, to listen to the verse of uh, uh, 1999 and Manic Monday, they're identical. Mm. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like Jump and Top, uh, 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 Top of the World by Van Halen. It's the same oh, yeah. riff at the end of, of Jump um, is the beginning, and they pulled it off because they're Van Halen. Prince yeah. pulls it off because he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to have whatever. That's funny. And he oh, also wrote 10 million songs. How are you going to not rip yourself <laughs> off, especially when all your songs are awesome? Uh, right. It's like Led Zeppelin saying, I'm not going to write another stairway. Of course ben, have you, you noticed Corey's trying to say something? Sorry, It's Corey. okay, take your time. <laughs> He's it's, a very, it's, very, it's very important what you're saying, Ben. Um, no, it isn't. <laughs> subscribe. Yes, subscribe, please. Uh, in your career, ha have there been any artists that have had uh, a big impact in your production style? Like, like, like an experience in the studio that kind of changed the way you thought about either the actual songwriting process if you're doing co-writes or the production techniques or, or a way of uh, composing something. Because, uh, you know, some of these artists are, they're just such big presences that I can't imagine that something hasn't rubbed off. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, most projects uh, I learn, even if it's just like a, a minute little thing where you're like, yeah, you know what, that's mm -hmm. a good little trick. I'm going to try that. Um, most notably and then most... Uh, um, uh, yeah, recently uh, was uh, Death Clock working with uh, Brendan Small. He does, uh, you know, he has this very symphonic orchestral production uh, that like Lost Symphony, our together. sponsor. <laughs> so what, what? Well, our band Lost Symphony. I was I was saying before oh, yeah. our interview is very similar in the concept, other than you guys are way more famous and known and <laughs> incredible but we do so, have a sorry, bunch of crazy symphonic so stuff but talk that's about, amazing yeah death clock to yeah. give you from metal Ocala. um and so what what i uh one thing that i learned from him is um 
putting uh, like a chorus vocal or chorus theme on top of an outro section. So it would be a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then it'd be bridge and then outro, but tying it all together by putting, um, reusing previous sections on top of uh, new musical uh, uh, parts um, and, and tying entire compositions together that way, which uh, works really well sometimes. When you are working with these artists, is it, a lot of um or is there like what's the percentage of people that come in with the pre-production done or, or or songs written as a band where you're just kind of going over what's already there versus being composed in studio alongside you as producer i don't know if i can give you percentages um i can tell you that most younger bands and first projects usually the songs are worked out much more mm-hmm. um that's where you know it's kind of like the the first record you get 10 years to write the first record. You get 10 yeah, weeks to write right. the second one. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, some, some bands come in with the songs written and we just need to do a little bit of massaging and, you know, like uh, just go over everything and make sure that everything's as good as it can be. Um, other bands, uh, they come in with basically kind of like a verse chorus type yeah. thing and and if if we feel like it's good enough to finish it off we'll write a bridge and and you know finish off the song one somehow or another um other bands um we've had uh <laughs> started started a, uh, an otep record and the only thing we had was a deadline <laughs> i'm serious yeah. it's not even a joke yeah, yeah. not even um, coffee <laughs> We we had literally nothing. Um, it was uh, I got the phone call. You want to make an OTEP record? I was like, Yeah, that'd be great. Um, it has to be done by July fourth. Uh, okay, like, uh, can I hear some songs? Like, no, we're gonna write all the songs in the studio. I was like, Okay, can we get like started as soon as possible here? Like, no, um, it can't be not not until such and such date because there's a prior obligations. It's like, okay. So, so what, <laughs> what, what, was that, what was that like? Yeah, what is that like? Uh, it was very stressful, um, but very rewarding, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was intense. Uh, and um, you know, we just showed up every morning, or you know, musician morning, uh, <laughs> and you know, we just anybody's like, anybody got any ideas? Okay. And then we just got started. And usually by the end of the day, we had a song. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we'd re-record it the next day just to get a fresher take or whatever, mm-hmm. but, you know, work out a couple of little details here and there, but yeah, that's, that's about how we did it. Let me ask you for a new band or someone that doesn't have you know, a lot of prior material. What is the process like for finding or wanting to work with a producer? Because obviously there's huge value in that, you know, having that outside ear. Um, I- I'm not sure if you do a lot of that, but you know what, how would bands or artists go about that? And what do you feel is the importance of, you know, having that opportunity to work with a producer from the band side? I think it's something that's important for people to do. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there there's different stages of things. Like I don't want to, uh waste somebody's i don't waste somebody, i don't want to take somebody's money who's not ready for the stage yet okay um the important things are 
is is the band if it's a band uh are they going to be together after we're done doing this or you know i have to well but it's not a joke no, no I don't. You're right. yeah. it's, you're it's so to, interesting have you met that. bass players <laughs> <laughs> or drummers or violin players well your name's ulrich else? wild i have to think to myself there's lars ulrich and that's the guy i always think like, i like is they are they gonna pull a lars are they gonna pull a lars I, that's I, that's that's the, every metal drummer for me yeah it has to be a giant, giant event horizon for you. <laughs> Staring um, into the black hole. There, you know, but it is, it is a thing of, uh, you know, am I, is, is this helpful for them at this stage or should they spend, uh, should they write a hundred songs and play a hundred shows? Obviously that's not doable right now with COVID, but the point of writing a hundred songs and a hundred shows and playing a hundred shows is, um, if you're still together after that, you're actually going to be good and you've developed a, a personality and a, and a presence and an identity. Not and necessarily. A hundred shows is a lot. I've seen a lot of people think for a long time that they're good because people have enabled them because don't, they that, don't that is true. But that is true. it is a test of whether you will it be is a test the and you should least. get better and people should be good at that point. But I yeah. have seen people where I'm like, if, I don't know the, how you've done if, this if for the chemistry is not there and the band's not going to make a long run. That would be the, the stress be test, the test to, to kind yeah. of yeah. boil them out there. And, and so the, uh, the thing is, you know, for every great idea you have, there's about 10 bad ones, mm-hmm. you know, I sure. just kind of, transfer that over to songwriting for every great song you have probably about 10 bad ones out there so if you're at 100 songs you get 10, 10 great try ones. Like 100 it's, bad it's funny you we just uh we just released our our episode with paul geary of of extreme and he almost word for word was saying how they in their garage before they did anything they wrote 100 songs before they recorded a, anything they were rec- they wrote 100 songs and picked the five best ones and that's what they went in to do that for their demo so yeah it's it's you know it's, Hundred percent on, dead on. It, it's it's kind of you know that's a bit the ratio really. And then he um, forgot about songs he played with Brian May and the guy from the Who. And I was like, dude, that must be so cool that you could forget about those guys. <laughs> like I don't remember what song we played with them. So you no went way. from writing a hundred songs to doing five songs to forgetting the songs you did with the dude from the Who and Queen. <laughs> That's just, pretty intense. Isn't that awesome? Or yeah. do you ever like uh, forget that you did a song? Do you have, does a song ever pop up? Where oh, you're absolutely, like, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> what happens just the other day is just like. And I, I was listening to some, some, I forgot what it was. And they were like, I'm like, wow, I don't remember doing this at all. Ah. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, in all fairness, I do work on a lot of songs throughout right. the year, you know, like if you. I so know, if a band's so good, you'll the remember them. Um, yeah. No. Oh, you know what? Uh, it, uh, no, it, it can, it, 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 it. It, it's just I don't listen to the records after I've done them. You know what I mean? Maybe once or twice to. No, like, I totally get that. I hate listening to anything. So it's not even that I hate on. doing it. It's like I don't no, have I do. time to listen to music anymore. You know what I mean? Ah. And and if I do, and, and it's sad, really, um, sure. because, you know, here I am at work 10, 12 hours a day on music. The last thing I want to do afterward is listen to more music, right? 
Um, well, never do for free what you get paid to do. <laughs> well, it's funny because my favorite fuck you letter I ever got, and I shared it one time, it's on my wall, is from Brian May saying he was too busy to listen to my record and sent it back to me. But I thought that that was the nicest thing to be honest and just be like, he basically wrote something. I'm too busy doing my own stuff at this point. I have to yeah. be honest. I, I don't even listen to music other than the stuff I'm working on. Here you go. I've returned your press kit, which is way nicer than just putting your fucking burnt CD in the trash. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can appreciate that, you know. Thanks, I'm Brian. serious. I can totally appreciate that. Um, but it, it it is like that. Um, that yeah, I, I just totally don't don't listen to the stuff that I've done because I'd already done it. Like I I, I look forward yeah. to the next one as opposed to at, reminisce. At, at any point in your career, did you listen back to something you did prior and think, ah, I wish I you know tweaked to that before I, it went out like are there any like moments every like that every single record <laughs> to this every day every single song every single verse every single chorus every single intro and outro the fade in the fade out all of it um uh, but not not uh out of uh you know, it's just a thing where you go like, ah, I could have done better. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes yeah. it is time constraint and sometimes um, it's a constraint to, uh, put upon you by the artist or, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Where you're like, yeah, right. I well, like the saying, yeah, it's a, our art is never complete, only abandoned. You know, it's yeah, like it's, it's just the eternal loop of this could be better. <laughs> yeah. Never, the never version, finish and then there's the Beatles version and then there's the Phil Spector version. Right. <laughs> there you go. Right? Yeah, it's uh it's kind of like me. that, you know. That's that's <laughs> very com comforting to hear because uh, yeah, no, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, but that that you're supposed to strive for better, you know, to right, learn exactly. from your mistakes, and 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 if you didn't, that would mean that that was your perfect record, right? Sure. And where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might as well quit. Yeah. <laughs> go to eleven, Corey. You go to eleven. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, uh, on a camper. Um, yes. <laughs> Um, Ulrich, what do you, uh, what do you have coming up? Like, what are you, uh, what are you doing nowadays? We're coming up at the end of our, our second hour, but I want to just make sure we can, uh, you know, keep up with you. I mean, has this last year affected you much? I know we all have home studios and as do you. So for us, I think we're in a different situation where I think we're maybe we're able to weather storms like this a bit better than other industries, but lostsymphony.com. <laughs> how, uh, subscribe. how, yeah, subscribe. And how, how have you been, uh, doing with everything and, and what are you up to now? I have been surprisingly busy, uh, luckily, um, a lot of folks, uh, and it's been pretty much mixing, uh, mixing. Well, that makes so, sense. So a lot of send it to you. Yeah, exactly. They've sent me stuff and I mixed it. Um, so that's, that's basically what I've been doing. Uh, as I, as I was saying earlier, I never know what I'm doing, working on right now. Um, right now, I'm working with a band called uh, Kenton Place out of uh, Houston. And uh, we we actually track that, and it's time to mix that now. Um, working with a an artist called Precious Child, uh, artist called uh, Thrillsville. Uh, and none of these are particularly metal. Uh, some of it borders uh, is dark wave, and other borders on on industrial things. Um, uh, you know, that's that's like the most the most recent thing. Uh, this band called Alchemy Fire. Uh, they are uh, a little bit more traditional metal. Um, just finished mixing that, and that uh, came out really cool. Um, 
band called Anger Trade out of Phoenix. That's pretty hard. Um, real fun. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, and what do you have a preference? Do you do you like to to get in involved with the whole you know the producer mixer thing, or do you like to have the like you know what I'm gonna I get an email I'm gonna I get these tracks I get this fresh thing I haven't heard before I wasn't involved in the process and I can I can shape you know someone else's um, tracks versus the starting and and taking it from scratch. Um, I like both. Uh, the The full production obviously takes a lot longer. Um, the uh, mixing your own mixing the stuff that you recorded it can be hard sometimes or a yeah. lot harder. Um, I've learned to distance myself from it and just kind of like open it up and start a new and go like, all right, who recorded this crap? <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of approach it. Approach do you keep it that your way. sessions organized? Like, do you get do you get your own sessions to mix and go? Who did like what is this? What's this audio five? <laughs> No, like actually, me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do have the really the, the labeling thing uh, uh, is is sometimes a, a bit murky, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a style of working, so it, it, it's clear of what what is. Um, so <laughs> that, that helps, um, but um, you know the it, it, it I do. I do switch over from recording to mixing, like on the on the session itself. Mm -hmm. Like, I I get rid of everything, with, with a few minor exceptions of like certain particular sounds or whatever that yeah. we we're creating with certain plugins. But overall, like all the buses go away, all the you know ninety eight percent of the plugins go away, hmm. and it's just like start from scratch. Kind of Interesting. Thing. Interesting. So yeah. even if you, you know, even if it, during the session you were crafting a, a sound with plugins or or the plugins always temp just like getting it ballpark. Mm, uh, I usually try to record the sound as it should be. Okay. So um, one thing I was going to say that I learned in my chain is that I don't. You're right. You should have two people. Someone else. One person does a production and another person that's separate autonomously mix the stuff. But it also gives you someone in the chain that you can blame. So for me, when people send me tracks, I just forward them to Corey. So for example, if Jeff Loomis didn't like send his DI track for something, I'm like, dude, Corey, what the fuck? And I know it's my <laughs> fault, but the fact is, I just engineer and produce now. So like, even though I think I get a really good sound of tape, if it By doesn't engineer sound and produce, good, you mean you people... forward emails containing yeah. engineer and <laughs> produce <laughs> tracks? I also track everything here for the most part. Like, I do some stuff. Like, don't diminish it completely. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in that audio five category where it's just unclear. And then my husband comes in and is like, what is this? This is a disaster. Yeah, that's <laughs> at least it sounds good when it's yours it's the third take doubled uh you know i like i like the second bar of this one so they'll remember to grab that one yeah <laughs> i can't even comp myself it hurts my feelings i tell people it's like getting naked in front of the mirror and it really feels that way when i other than my vocals which i just don't even want other people to hear but i don't want to comp my own guitars because it's like i feel offended by myself so Corey can just take the di and make it work at this point so it's much better that way yeah you know you got your own working style so kudos to you yeah <laughs> it's all trial and error like you said we'll get our ten thousand yeah. hours in ulrich thank you so much for joining us uh i i know i learned a ton and we definitely appreciate your time um as soon as they decide they realize i don't know what i'm doing and they fire me i'm sure you'll get a call to mix the next lost symphony record um <laughs> i look forward to it yeah. <laughs> me too me too I'll, I'll keep you i'll keep you posted well, maybe, on what's going on well maybe we'll get a budget if we can do this next record Corey, where we could afford him 
right. and you can finally relax. And then you can chill and actually be a bass player instead yeah, you can of just be a bass everything. Player. That sounds great. That's where you've always wanted amazing. to be. Stay in your box. Just be a bass, bass player. player. Yeah. <laughs> Stay in that pentatonics but, fucking box. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like really, like I, you know, we asked you, and you were kind of you almost seemed like surprised. That we wanted to interview you, and I, I can't tell you how many things I wrote down we didn't even talk about as far as, like, you know, working with Lane Staley and the fact that, you know, Maynard was the wolf on the, you know, the three little pigs by Green Jelly, which is really Green Jello. We didn't talk about that and changing it. There's so many things that you've done that were just so integral to the 90s and the 2000s, and I mean, and obviously you're still working all the time. So from the bottom of my heart as someone that has been forced to be a producer and an engineer and not, none of those things well. Thank you so much, man, for, for giving me records that are my test records to find out that my Dyn Audio speakers, which are the exact ones you shit on and use for a while. I'm like, that's why it sounds so good and my car sounds like shit. My speakers are too pleasant. Yeah, and to everyone listening, go look up Ulrich Wilde and look at what he's done and, you know, plug in all those songs, listen to them so you understand the, the man behind so much of the production and, and the find music. find Yamaha it's- speakers that sound like shit so that they're unforgiving because that's important. Don't get ones that go. massage your mix. Get the ones that say your mix is fat. <laughs> okay. It's a great yes. takeaway. It <laughs> <laughs> right, sounds good to me. On that note, thank you again. And uh, you so please much, like and subscribe and do all those things that we're supposed to tell you guys to do. And uh, yeah. You've been 2020. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com for more episodes and to subscribe and like and buy some merchandise and all sorts of fun stuff. This week's throwback clip goes all the way back to episode number three with our good friend Richard Shaw of Cradle of Filth. Check it out. I have a story that happened in Israel, weirdly enough, uh, and that was the time we had an impromptu drum solo, which has never happened in Cradle of Filth, <laughs> uh, because... A certain member of the band who will remain remain nameless um, shit themselves on stage, and um, that was four songs in. They had to wait until the encore, which was another ten songs later, before oh they God, could I'm get joking. off stage. I'm in a joke. Shit. We know. At least we know it's not the drummer. So that it's not the drummer. And it wasn't the drummer. It wasn't me. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.